0: Whole come from that I have is not just to beat people over the head of like you have to advocate for yourself but to understand why that feels so goddamn hard that there are reasons why it feels so difficult to you I mean even if we look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs for example one of our core human needs right in the middle of the pyramid is one of belonging And that stems from our primitive ancestors who could not survive unless they were a part of a group. There was no tribe of one, right? So if you were not a part of an organized group, that literally meant death.
1: You are tuning in to For Better Self and Net Worth podcast. This is a podcast where I encourage you to live the life of your dreams by adopting the right mindset, navigating through tough challenges and respecting your bank account. I interview entrepreneurs and empire builders from across the globe as they share how they have come to live the lives of their dreams and the challenges they had to break through. I also have a few solo episodes where I talk about the lessons learned and navigating in a world full of naysayers, negative mindsets, and money grabbers. I personally believe that attitude is everything and with the right attitude, you can get the life that you dream of. I'm so glad you're on this journey with me. If you're listening, make sure you have hit the subscribe button and on Apple, give me some love by leaving a review. Most of all, I hope every episode you hear on here leaves you inspired and on fire to live your best life without breaking the bank. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to For Better Self and Net Worth. I am so thrilled to bring you the guest for today, Amy Greensmith. Amy Greensmith is a life coach, a masterful speaker, personal empowerment expert, and she's the creator of How to Speak Up for Yourself Without Being a Dick. By the way, this may not be the best episode for children, but Amy, thank you so much for being on the show. I'm so excited to have you. Aw, thanks, Ella.
0: We're we're gonna have a blast.
1: Awesome, awesome. Would you go ahead and introduce yourself, tell everyone what you're about, and your story of how you became the masterful speaker and the self
0: empowerment expert that you are. Sure. So I think I think for many of us who kind of land in the quote expert space, have gone through a number of difficult times in our own life that then inform the work that we do in the world. And my situation is very much the same. So for a bit of context, I grew up in a very, very conservative, born-again, evangelical Christian family. And so there was a a lot of motivation through guilt and fear, lots of intense dogma. Uh, and, but still very, very loving family, really great relationship with both of my parents. But I was by all accounts, kind of like the good kid. I started working when I was 14, put myself through college and compared to my younger brothers who had (laughs) difficult time with the law and had done jail time and didn't go to school were you know, living kind of off my parents. So it was, that will kind of come into play a little bit later. So everything kind of crystallized for me and kind of came to a a massive shift in the year 2007 when my father passed away. And at the time, I was kind of transitioning from makeup artistry into personal development. And so I knew very concretely that I wanted to do the makeup for his service, for his viewing. I wanted to do dead dad makeup, everybody. But I felt like it would be a real asshole move if I had this skill set and then to be like, oh, dad, go get your own makeup artist. You know, <laughs> So I felt very convicted that I wanted to speak uh, to the crowd of hundreds of folks who were there, that I wanted to do his makeup for his viewing. And, you know, so for for all intents and purposes, I kind of felt like I was winning at daughter that day. Right. And Up until that point, every time that we had gone to my parents' house, I would kind of prep my husband and I would say, okay, like, let's twist and contort. We don't want them to see who we really are. No liberal agenda, no gay marriage, no cussing, no drinking, no Jon Stewart, no South Park. Like, just keep it it all really buttoned up. So we had been used to kind of shape-shifting around them. So it comes to that day, I have to muster so much energy and devotion really to perform the makeup for him and then to speak to this crowd of hundreds of, of folks. So we get back home to my mom's house and she finds it the most opportune time to tell me that she feels like she has failed as or that her and my father had failed as parents because the three of us. We're not, quote, walking with the Lord. So it was not a sentiment of any understanding of who I was, that I had just done dead dad makeup, that I had spoken to crowds of hundreds of people, that I had put myself through school, that I was, you know, all of these things, none of it mattered. I was just lumped in with my siblings because we didn't subscribe to the faith traditions we were raised with. And really, the only thing I could kind of muster in that moment was to say, you probably shouldn't say that to a child. (laughs) And she said, well, that's just how I feel. And that really was a pivotal shift for me that I realized that speaking up for yourself or delivering a boundary is not, I really believe, is not oftentimes an ultimatum, but sometimes it is. And if push comes to shove and I have to decide between making somebody else happy and making me happy, I'm gonna choose me. And that was the impetus behind the work that I do now. So, but I'll tell you what, Ella, it was messy after that. I mean, it was like this dam had burst and I became incredibly adversarial and combative. I wanted to talk about all the polarizing topics. And it wasn't until many, many times where I had to take my foot out of my mouth and I had to apologize for my delivery, how I said things, not necessarily what I felt about things, that I realized, oh, shit, you can actually ask an adult child to move out of the house. You can tell your family that you don't believe in the religion you were raised in. You can ask for a divorce. You can tell your family you're not going to continue on with the family business, right? Like you can do all of those things and you can do that with grace and kindness. You don't have to be combative and adversarial. And that really has informed the the work that I do now. That is so
1: awesome. I think so many people can relate, especially in the South of growing up in, you know, growing up around religion. And, you know, I feel like a lot of times in religion, you're told, okay, you're not enough. You're not enough. That is the...
0: Yeah, tenant. That's a major tenant.
1: That's the tenant. And it's like, there's nothing wrong with like having faith, being spiritual, because I know that helps you out in life anyway. That's so much you know, benefits that come from that having a spiritual path. But since the beginning of time, religion has been used for control. Of course. Look at That's the Salem right. witch trials. I mean, it wasn't because these women were scary or doing anything evil. They were, you know, helping kids recover from illness.
0: Right. Well,
1: they right. were called witches and they needed to be burned at the stake. It was, it was about power. It was about men having the power in that
0: hundred percent. In fact, my my uh, mother in law just gave me a book that's called. Um, I'm pretty sure it's called "In Defense of Witches," and it's actually not at all about Wicca or Wiccan or um, religion at all. It's about how women throughout history, if they've made, if they've caused any ripples, they typically get branded as something nefarious, like a witch, right? So she, the author asks you to think about what was the first example of a witch you ever heard of, right? And she gives you a second, like, just start imagining, imagining who it was. So for me, immediately, my first thought was Wicked Witch of the West, you know? Yeah. Wizard of Oz. That was the first one I thought of. And she goes, okay, you have that image in your mind? Okay. I bet you that that woman never married has an unconventional career, doesn't have children, and their closest friends are animals. And 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 now they are maligned inside of their social structure. So now they are ostracized. They are their ability to caretake for themselves is sufficiently or significantly impacted. And it just talks, it's such a fan, fantastic book, but it really speaks to what you're talking about is that when we step out of line, whether it's out of line in religion, whether it's out of line in our family structures, and sometimes those things are very tethered together, but when we step out of line and we aren't what other people expect of us, that's when we start to shape shift and twist and contort. And I think one of the things that we don't amplify enough is intuition. I feel like that is our internal compass. There's a reason why red flags go up when you're around somebody who's not healthy for you or around a decision that's not good for you. And I think a lot, not all, but a lot of organized religion and even family structures are geared towards what I like to call the cognitive override, where instead of listening to your gut or your intuition, We refer to phrases like lean not on your own understanding, which is a biblical passage, which to me says you can't be trusted. And so we start conditioning an entire group of people to believe that they cannot trust themselves and have to look externally. Now, if you find fulfillment in that way, knock yourself out. If that allows you to hate people, then I would really question that doctrine. I'll leave it at that.
1: You're not leaning not on your own understanding. That tells me to use my intuition because sometimes you can be intuitive about something like your nervous system can feel something that's not necessarily rational. That's right. You yeah. You around somebody right. that, you know, maybe there's somebody that you just don't trust. Mm-hmm. And maybe they haven't given you a reason not to,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but your gut tells you not to trust them.
0: Yeah. Listen to your gut. Well, what's really interesting about that is we don't amplify that as a solid basis for anyone. So we don't have children and teach them how does that feel? Or what sort of emotion would you name that? Okay, let's start listening to our emotions. We don't teach emotional integrity or intelligence. We don't talk about intuition. We talk about logic and reason and rationale. And when we look at how the mind works, even if you break down the subconscious faculty versus the the conscious faculty, the conscious part of our mind Holds logic, reason, rationale, but it's also, depending on who you talk to, like five to 10% of our mind's power. A majority of our mind's power, 90 to 95%, is housed in the subconscious. So that means no matter how rational or logical something is, if it is in direct conflict with what you believe in your subconscious, nothing's really going to change and shift. That's also the reason why when you want to start telling yourself positive affirmations, you get so much kickback from your inner critic going, that's not real. That's not true it's incongruent with 90% of your subconscious mind that houses your beliefs. That's where our beliefs, our values are. That's where our primitive fear responses are. And so if you're trying to tell yourself, I'm enough, or I can speak up for myself, or I can establish boundaries, and there's a deep-seated belief in the subconscious that speaking up is dangerous, or don't rock the boat, or don't open up a can of worms, all these other bullshit idioms that we have around not speaking up for yourself, guess which one's going to win? Of course the subconscious is going to win. Of course it's going to try to keep you safe. So that is one of the things that I do as a hypnotherapist is we start working with the subconscious part of the mind to start shifting those belief systems. But that's one of the reasons why it is so unbelievably difficult for us to listen to intuition is because everything we've been taught in that subconscious mind is this doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how you feel. You need to shape shift. You need to take care of everyone else instead of yourself. You need to be perfect. Whatever beliefs we've established, but very few of us establish a belief that's now housed in the subconscious. That is, I can always lean on my own intuition. Or I can fully trust myself. Most of the time, we've been given some other belief that we didn't really consent to, and that that's kind of operating our entire life now. Yes.
1: What's crazy is most of our subconscious beliefs happen before we even hit puberty. That's right. It's it's not ladylike to have an opinion, it's not ladylike to speak out loud. This is, you know, you need to be married by 35 or else. Right. All of these all of these crazy beliefs that, you know, women are only happy. And I've actually heard a another podcaster say, Well, if women don't become mothers, they're not going to be happy. And I'm like, you want to be happy. But why why what do we project? It's like our subconscious mind, why do we project so much onto each other of how we should act, Mm -hmm. how we should behave, and how we should carry ourselves.
0: Well, and that's a lot of how systems of oppression have been able to stay in power, right? Like, that's why we still are fighting for the wage gap for women. That's why we still don't have um, equal care for everybody in the queer community. That's why black and brown and indigenous communities are suffering still so very much at the hands of police brutality and not having clean water and all sorts of other things. But it's it's not that the system is broken. It's that the system was very specifically set up to keep certain people down. And women are one of those major marginalized identities. So I think one of the biggest things that we can do as we are starting to wake up around this stuff is to genuinely start questioning, what is it that I believe? And why do I believe that? And then digging into, are there people who get to stay in power or certain agendas that get to stay in power as long as I continue to subscribe to this? What would it look like if I actually listened to my own internal compass? And I'll tell you what, as a queer kid growing up in a very conservative belief structure, I learned very quickly that I wasn't enough and that I was bad and that I was essentially broken and needed saving. I don't know what other message of not enoughness <laughs> you need to come up against to realize like no, if you think you are broken and needed need saving, I think you might want to learn from a different teacher.
1: Yeah. I've just seen I've seen so many examples throughout my life of how religion tells people that they're not enough, that they just need to be obedient and they just need to you know, it it was like you would join it because you needed a safe space, And, you know, I, I sought out church to, you know, be a place of sure. comfort for me. And then I would walk out thinking there was something wrong with me. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I once, you know, I, I, I did youth group growing up. I hope my parents don't get mad at me for talking about this. But one time I said the word crap, crap, C-R-A-P, not, not the alternative word that, you know, I say now. <laughs> well- I got berated
0: yeah.
1: in a fellowship hall full of people for it.
0: Yeah. I was yeah. told
1: that God didn't like the music I listened to. And, and this was a Methodist church. This was a more liberal right. side of Christianity. And, you know, it's exhausting because I still felt like anytime I'm around a group of Christians, I have to wear a mask and I can't be myself. Right. And that's so hard for me because- right. I being brand on authentic authenticity and just you know yeah. always take a pride in being unique three with a wing of four individuality.
0: Yes, yes, absolutely. I, Go ahead. I was just going to say, I'm. A, are you talking about enneagram? Because I'm a four.
1: <laughs> so you, yeah, you're four, so you know the individuality yeah. perspective of it.
0: Yeah.
1: And else is that I feel like people that grow up in these strict households. Yeah are more likely to rebel.
0: Yeah, I you know, I don't know what the statistics are necessarily, but I do know that there's a massive reckoning happening with religion in our in at least in the US. And there's a massive deconstruction movement, and the idea behind deconstruction is not necessarily just that you are unpacking and taking apart something that no longer works for you, but that you are using critical thinking, which is also oftentimes discouraged in systems of control, uh, which is also why some people are not afforded the education that they deserve. But when we start to see those sorts of systems happening over and over and over again, we have to question our complicit nature around them and start looking at, you know, is this really true for me? Is this really real for me? And who has taught me that? And then where does that come from? What were what were those folks benefiting from? And so to me, where that that has me falling in sort of a personal development scope. This is something that I tell my students all the time is I what I don't need is to be a guru. I do not need a bunch of people who are dependent on me and feel like they won't they can't make a decision or figure something out unless they run it by Amy. My job is to empower your internal compass for you to recognize and go back to self-trust. We're not born lacking trust for ourselves. We're we're that. We're taught that we can't trust ourselves, and that could be that nothing is more antithetical to the human experience. We absolutely are imbued with self trust and intuition as children, as infants, and then it gets systemized, systematically moved out of our vernacular. So I think one of the most pivotal things that we can do as humans, no matter what system that we're bucking up against, is to just start questioning, is to just start going, hmm, that's interesting that that doesn't feel right to me. Let me, let me dig into that a little bit. Let me explore that a little bit. And, and that's what we're seeing so much with the deconstruction movement is it's not that we just dismantle, it's that we then put the blocks back together to realize, oh, no, here's what feels aligned to me. And And for a lot of people who are ex-fundies, as we're sometimes called, or ex-evangelicals, there's a real fucking grief that follows that. Because when you have to uproot your entire identity and what you believed was true and what you thought you would lay your life down for, that is an Unbelievably uncomfortable place to be, and most people don't choose being ostracized as their benefit, as the the plus or the the perfect option. They do that out of courage and bravery to say, "I know there's something else here for me besides what's been dictated to me my entire life." So I think there's a lot of nuance, and I mean, even if we look at actual Jesus. Jesus was a bleeding heart liberal, y'all. He was hanging out with the poor and the lepers and the sex workers and overturning the tax collectors' tables. Like things have gotten a bit skewed, <laughs> in my opinion.
1: Jesus could have also been considered a, I was going to say, a wizard. You know what I mean? Oh, oh totally. Totally. A woke wizard. A woke wizard. So, uh, you know, for the Christians coming at me for reading Harry Potter, uh, the Greg Locks of the world. Guess what, buddy?
0: <laughs> I know it's. Um, I recently came across somebody who was talking about the similarities between a lot of Christian stories, biblical stories, and witchcraft and how much so much of it is very very similar. So, I in my opinion, I think a majority of us are just trying to connect to something bigger and deeper and for Absolutely. so long we've been told that it's outside of ourselves, that it has to be a divine entity that is going to bestow and tell us all of these amazing things that we need to live our life by. And I don't think there's a greater compass than the one that's internal. And that's sort of my personal spiritual belief is that we already have a God that is uniquely in all of us. And that's the compass that we need to follow. It's been there the whole time. And it's not an outside deity, and it's not ruled by shame and guilt and fear. And to me, that's a much more expansive, liberated place to reside.
1: Absolutely. And yes, that, that's something that took me 30 some years to realize is that there's a lot of power within us. Mm-hmm. And I've never, my intuition has never led me astray.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like, I'm not saying my intuition's always right, but trusting my intuition has saved my butt so many times. I told this story on a podcast a few weeks ago about how I stopped at a green light because my intuition told me to. Oh, wow. There was a drag racer coming across that intersection, running the red light that he had. Wow. He hit the car beside me. The person was okay, but I was there to be able to witness it. I was able to get the license plate from my dash can, get to the insurance company, all of that good stuff. But I just remember thinking, yeah. I'm I'm listening to my intuition as I drive.
0: Wow, what a profound story. And and it's interesting that we're talking about this concept of intuition because it's the one topic. In personal development, you know, I've been teaching this work for 15 years. It's the one topic that takes so much longer to really tune into because it's been literally bred out of us from an early age. It's been, you know, whatever you're like, let's say you don't want a little boy chasing you out on the playground and your teacher says, hey, he just likes you. That's why he's doing that stop, stop causing such a scene. Stop being so dramatic, so emotional. Like you start getting all of these messages there early on and you start learning that intuitively what I wanted to stop is wrong. That I now have to put other people and usually it's white men ahead of anything that I know intuitively right? And so no wonder historically we deferred to men to make all of our decisions. That's what we were told was the case. And then to your point earlier, then we get gaslit into thinking that the only thing we're allowed to like is motherhood and servitude and giving and giving and giving. And I'll tell you right now, I have never had the desire to be a a mother ever. And so I, that was something that Took, I mean, I've been with my partner now for 26 years. In the early years, it was constant about when are you having kids? When? And I'm like, I don't really like them. And so I just started showing up and being honest and brazen with my opinions the same way people who were dying to have kids were just as brazen with theirs. So I think that's a part of this whole thing that we're talking about is it takes time to learn. What your intuition is telling you, because for so long we've been taking care of everybody else because that's what our culture told us we'd be fulfilled by. So it's like, of course we're doing those things. And of course we get into our 30s or 40s and go, fuck, I checked off all the boxes. Why the hell am I not happy? Because we've learned how to override that intuition. We've learned that taking care of everyone else is more important than our own voice or believing that we even matter. So When I talk about learning how to speak up for yourself or establish boundaries or saying no, it's not some sort of like arbitrary personal development exercise. It's literally because your self worth depends on it. Because every time you choose to silence yourself or not rock the boat or open up a can of worms, all those things we talked about, you send a subconscious message to your mind that other people's wants, needs, and opinions. Are more important than your own. And if we're doing that habitually over and over and over again, we are constantly saying, You matter more than me. You matter more than me. You matter more than me. Layer in any other marginalized identity. If you're in a queer body, a fat body, a disabled body, now we have extra things to prove our worth, extra things we have to do to try to take up space in this culture. So I feel. That believing in your own intrinsic enoughness, believing in your own worthiness is one of the fiercest acts of liberation that we can do, that we can take. So when I'm talking to you about speaking up or boundaries, et cetera, again, it's because your self-worth depends on it, not just because, oh, let me practice something.
1: And who do you have to live with longer than anyone else? Longer than a partner, your friends, your coworkers. You live with yourself. If you can't advocate for yourself.
0: Yeah. Well, part of the whole come from that I have is not just to beat people over the head of like you have to advocate for yourself, but to understand why that feels so goddamn hard that there are reasons why it feels so difficult to you. I mean, even if we look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, for example, one of our core human needs right in the middle of the pyramid is one of belonging. And that stems from our primitive ancestors who could not survive unless they were a part of a group. There was no tribe of one, right? So if you were not a part of an organized group, That literally meant death. So now, fast forward to our modern existence, we feel that same element of fear if our in-laws don't approve of us, if Jenny from accounting has it out for us, if we get broken up with. That registers on our mind, in our subconscious, that I might not survive this. I might actually die, which is why... One of our primitive defense mechanisms. We've all heard of fight, flight, freeze. There's also one called fawn that's a little bit newer in the conversation. And fawning is essentially people pleasing. It's if you are about to be attacked by a mountain lion, to fawn as a fear response would be to say, Here, kitty, kitty, here's some steak, go that way, right? You're like kind of trying to placate the aggressor or the captor. The modern iteration of fawning is people-pleasing. So no wonder when we feel a sense of impending threat, whether it's from in-laws, family, religion, society, people-pleasing makes a lot of sense to keep yourself safe. It's also antithetical to speaking up. So when we start thinking about okay, I have this pull to people, please, or I'm not going to speak up for myself, usually there's some sort of threat that we're detecting. And we have to observe that and go, am I feeling this fear And de- because of this threat, because I'm actually legitimately in danger, or is it because it's just new? Because fear, Fear will kick in anytime something is just new. The first time you give a speech, the first time you go to a job interview, the first time you do a specific project at your work, fear will kick in, imposter complex kicks in, it comes in like, are you sure? Because it's going, wait a minute, we don't know this. Let's try to stay safe, stay safe, stay safe. So we always have to ask ourselves when we're pulled to people, please, is this scary to speak up? because I'm actually in danger, I could get hurt here? Or is it because it's just new? It's new to speak up. It's new to establish boundaries. So one of the examples I'll give frequently is, you know, I identify as queer if I'm at an environment or in an environment where it's very clearly anti lgbtqi plus, that's probably not the time for me to get up with my rainbow flag and talk about gender and sexuality. Because my Physical safety might actually be threatened. So in that situation, people-pleasing may actually be what I need to stay safe. In fact, that's what many of us do as children to stay safe with really volatile caregivers. And then we get to a place in life where we go, holy shit, all this people-pleasing is no longer serving me. So that's when we have to start unpacking and looking for nuance in these decisions because sometimes, yeah, it'll keep you safe. And then in others, it'll impede everything that you want to create in this world.
1: What are some of the biggest transformations that you've seen with women who, you know, don't feel comfortable speaking up for themselves and then becoming somebody that's comfortable with self-advocacy? Because I think, I feel like we both have our stories of, being recovering people-pleasers, Sure. what's something that you're seeing with your clients?
0: I will never forget. I have a dear, dear client who I still work with, and she's given me the permission to share this story. When she first came to me, and this was just a few years ago, it was pre-pandemic, so it was probably right before everything went to shit. (laughs) Um, (laughs)
1: And And everybody started (laughs) hating each other and yeah.
0: Yeah, before before our pre-apocalypse started. Um, but her goal when she came to work with me, her original goal was, I need you to help me get my husband to love me again. And I'm reading through her intake paperwork, and I'm seeing so many red flags about the person she was married to. And I'm going, Ooh, you know, one of the things I always ask people when they're at odds in their relationship, because we talk so much about communication, is does your partner ever own their piece in the matter? Do they ever take responsibility at all? Or do they always have a reason why it's your fault? And As we started working together, I started realizing that he was the latter. He was the one who thought that she was broken, told her many times that she was, that she was not enough, um, that she was not a good mother, that she was a horrible mother, um, and that didn't deserve love because of how she behaved, and that he would totally be different if she was, right? So it's a complete lack of ownership. And so those sorts of situations are always major red flags to me. So I remember telling her, I'm like, listen, I can't make your husband do a damn thing. What we can do is we can uncover what feels the most powerful to you, what it feels like to advocate for yourself, to speak up for yourself, um, to honor your likes and your dislikes, to re-engineer what being a mother means to you, not just to him, not to his family, not to our culture, but to you. We can do all of those things. And what I can help you do is have you fall in love with you, but I can't make him do a damn thing. Flash forward a handful of years, she is extremely happily divorced and uh very just killing it in her career, um, has gone through some really difficult things with custody, is still going through difficult things. But that woman's worth is unshakable. She is so clear that like when shit happens, that life is uncomfortable. There are things that happen that carry uncomfortable emotions, but none of that has anything to do with our worth but we usually collapse that. We usually go, if I feel rejected, that must mean I'm not enough or I'm not worthy, I'm not lovable. Instead of going, this situation sucks, I don't suck. I can feel disappointed, overwhelmed, stressed, rejected, sad, despondent, and realize that those Feelings have nothing to do with my worth. So now she's so clear, like when things get kicked up, she's like, I'm going into this place, but I'm using this tool. It's just it's unreal. And she will constantly tell me, like, I cannot believe I used to be she. I'm no longer she, you know? And um and I will tell you (laughs) that I have I, I actively warn women that. Many of them start to see their marriages, if they're in a heterosexual relationship, start to see their relationships through a completely different lens. And it is because these women are taking up space, honoring their worth, and saying, I fucking matter. And if I'm not met with that respect, I'm no longer going to subject myself to this treatment anymore. And so sometimes there is like collateral damage. To your self worth, and it's usually the people who prefer you to be the disempowering, people pleasing version of you. Those are the people yeah. you tend to lose.
1: There's there's going to be people that want to keep you small or keep you in bad habits, and yeah. when you start to change, they're going to fight to get you back into your old ways, mm-hmm. or they're going to disappear. And if either one, if they they disappear, yeah, that just says hey. Right, you're making what's best decisions for you, and it's actually they're they're actually better off. I've seen, I know for me, I've seen a lot of close female friends, and this could have to do with like my subconscious beliefs around dating. But I've seen so many friends of mine, close female friends, get in. I'm just gonna say toxic because it this is this a blanket statement? Toxic relationship situations, yeah, you know, leading up to abusive.
0: Absolutely, and and it's interesting this this topic of people not liking the empowered version of you. Um, I think there's a, a really nuanced kind of sliding scale to this because I think there are some folks that once you start speaking up for yourself, they they're shocked and they kind of don't think you mean it. They're like, "Oh well, Ella got a bug up her ass and now she or she went to this conference and now she wants to tell everybody what's up," and so they think it's it's fleeting. They think it's a phase, and but they don't even consciously put enough effort in into that thought. They're just kind of like, oh, that's weird. So sometimes people will push back on your boundaries just because it's new and they're not used to this from you. And they're just like, yeah. what? what are you doing? So it's not always malicious. It's not always I'm trying to suck the, the new life out of you. It's not. It really isn't. Um, sometimes it's that they're stuck in their own disempowering belief structure. And then when you say like, oh, I'm going to start my own business, maybe they're from uh, an era where that's really dangerous. You don't do that, right? And so they're going to speak from all their limited beliefs. So sometimes it's not about cruelty, but it's about how we show up and say, hey, I don't accept that. I recognize you're coming from a place of, of love or concern. And that's not helpful for me right now. You well, I must have just companion I mean,
1: like for me, I decided to cut way back on drinking in 2016, two drinks a me- two drinks a week, max. Not that I don't enjoy myself every now and then, but I still have people in my life. They're like, well, let's go out and party. Let's go on. You know, we need to get drinks. We need to get, and I'm like, hold up, hold up maybe a drink or better yet an appetizer. Yeah. Uh, I'm not here for fighting the Broadway crowds and dealing with drunk people pushing my way. It's like, you know, I look back, I was like, you know, me, the version of me that used to drink too much. Yeah. I was never happy doing that. I did that as a form to be social. I found other ways to be social now.
0: That's That's right.
1: And then my counselor told me, she said, okay, the thing is, the people that you used to drink with, it's not that they want you to get back into the toxic habits. They want companionship. If they're mm-hmm. still drinking excessively, they want somebody to do that with them. They sure. just have to make it clear that that's not going to be you.
0: Right. Right. And, and I, to me, it feels very different with folks who, who are really clearly happy with their own choice. People who are happy and and solid in their own life and their own choice, usually, not always, but usually can champion other people to follow their own. So for example, everyone that my partner and I knew who were really, really happy with their decision to have children were pretty supportive of us not wanting them. They were secure in their own choice. They were happy for themselves, but they were also really happy for us to follow what honored us right and i think the same thing can happen with people who drink excessively if they're super chill and and comfortable with their own level of consumption they're probably really cool if you don't drink at all right and so it becomes a mirror to them of the things the boundaries they're not willing to establish and so that can become easier to offload that onto you and make you wrong instead of owning like hey yeah i could probably stand to cut down myself but I do find, you know, one of my really good friends is in sobriety and it has just genuinely never been an issue for us because I'm super comfortable with what I drink or don't drink, you know? And so I'm like, of course, also it's literal fucking poison. So why would I be like, why don't you want poison? It's just, it, want- doesn't, yeah. it and, doesn't make logical sense. And I like sense. you, I like,
1: I like, you know, to taste a good bourbon. I saw mm-hmm. you're a whiskey person. Yep. I love to taste these every now and then, but I don't want to get to a point where I'm dehydrated even, or I don't really like yeah. being buzzed. I like I like to live. That's something I've become the kind of person. I like to be in the moment, mm-hmm. like enjoy the music that's playing. Enjoy being outside. Sometimes I won't even be chatting. I'll be, you know, on a kayak with my friends and I'll just be looking up and admiring the scenery. Just live in the moment. And yeah. Yeah. I don't have time to worry about anything else.
0: Yeah. Well, I think, you know, coming back to sort of these concepts around speaking up, there are ways to handle those sorts of conversations without being super, super defensive. Because I think sometimes when we're newer to, like, let's say you, this is 2016 and you just made that decision for yourself, usually at the beginning of those Moments, that's when you're the most fragile. And so that's why I will frequently say if you're in a situation like that, be careful who hears your story. And I like to say, speak your truth into ears that can hear you because not all ears can hear you. you. Yeah. That's right. So the way that might sound to somebody who you still want to stay connected to. Like, let's say it's a friend who you really do like. You just don't want to be wasted every time you hang out. So let's say you, they ask you to go out and you go, you know what, I'll be really honest with you. I've been really reevaluating sort of my relationship with alcohol and I'm not going to be consuming nearly as much. But what I would love to do, and I want to see If you would be down for this, would you ever want to go to that one of those places where you can like make and paint your own pottery? Because I would love to go do that. And I would love to hear more about what's been going on in your work, right? Like you can lean into the relationship whilst still establishing a boundary around what's going on with you. And we don't usually look for that nuance. We think that it has to be either all or nothing, right? Instead of going, hey, what would you think about if we changed the way we bonded? And you, that relationship may or may not stand that shift. Sometimes it doesn't. Uh, but again, if push comes to shove, and if I have to choose between making you happy or me happy, I'm going to choose me.
1: I'm going to choose me exactly? Yeah. And something else I do want to hit up on is, I see a trend a lot where before women make a point, ask a question, or like, oh, I'm sorry to bother you again. I'm, I hear the word mm. sorry. Ugh. and now that it, you know, now that I noticed I noticed a couple of years ago I did that again. Oh, excuse me, I'm sorry. I would say sorry too much. But when I yeah. realized that I was doing that too frequently, I noticed it in other people and I, I'm comfortable saying, hey, look, you don't have to apologize for sending me a text message. Right. <laughs> just be patient if I don't get back to you in five minutes or, you know, even in the meeting, somebody would say, we're, we'll be talking in a forum. Oh, I'm sorry, but I'm like, no, you made a great point. You don't have to say you're sorry about that. So that's something that I wish yes. more people were aware of is they don't have to say they're sorry for speaking, taking up space
0: or yes. just sending a message to somebody. If you are saying sorry, The implication is that's mine to carry. It's my responsibility or I've done something wrong. So we need to stop collectively taking responsibility for shit that is not ours to carry. So here's the deal. Here's like the new rule. And Have a just entertain this the way you might entertain going into a store and just trying on a new jacket. Like, let me just try it on, right? So, if it lands great, if it doesn't, dismiss it. But I really feel like there are two, two times when sorry is appropriate. One is when you've actually made a mistake, when you need to clean something up, you've done something unbefitting to you, not apologizing because someone doesn't like your decisions but apologizing if you don't feel like you've shown up in a way that you are proud. The other is to share compassion or empathy. So I think it's completely fine to say, I am so sorry to hear that if somebody lost yeah. lost somebody in their life. So if you're saying sorry as, as an expression of compassion, I think that's fine too. But far more often we're saying, sorry, I took up space. And that is not something that you need to apologize for. So when people talk about saying, saying, thank you for waiting for me instead of sorry I'm late, that one I push back on because I'm like, you're out of integrity. You said that you would be there at a specific time. You do need to clean that up. You need to say, I'm really sorry because you just wasted somebody's fucking time. Now, saying, sorry that, you know, I'm this loud or this opinionated or that I share, I have, I don't share that opinion that you have. None of that constitutes an apology. What you can say is say something like, it's really uncomfortable for us to be on different sides of this, isn't it? Right. Like you can, you can acknowledge
1: coming up.
0: Of course it's I think far more like this is again where I get really worked up about emotional intelligence because one emotion that women take on like a badge of fucking honor is guilt. We say I feel guilty or I feel bad. Oh my god, I feel bad, I feel guilty, I feel bad, I feel guilty. Guilt is designed to reroute poor behavior. So if you've done something wrong according to you, then yeah, you should feel guilty. If I slapped you out of malice, I should feel guilt for that because I'm being a dick. But If I say I feel something for a situation that is different than how you feel, I don't need to carry guilt for that. That's an inappropriate descriptor because I have done nothing wrong according to me. So a more apt descriptor is I feel uncomfortable. I feel compassion. I feel disconnected. I feel empathy. I feel concern right? It's not guilt unless it's your fault and you believe, you truly believe it's your fault. So I've had situations with my mom where we obviously have very polarizing beliefs, both spiritually and um, and politically. And there have been times where I've shown up in a way that I'm really proud. I deliver my information the way I want to with grace and kindness. And she she does think I've done something wrong according to her. So, in those moments, I have to sit with that uncomfortable feeling of the duality of believing in myself and also being really saddened that we're on opposite sides. So, in those moments, I have to allow that to be hers. And that's where emotional intelligence really kicks up is sitting with both the pride in yourself and the sadness or the disappointment around the relationship. And far too often, again, circle back to what we were talking about at the top. Women are so taught to caretake for the, the feelings of everyone else. We go, I could never do that to him or say that to her because it's our responsibility to make sure they're happy and okay at all times. And it gets us to carry things that are not ours. So one of the things that I will check in with myself about if I feel like I'm taking ownership of something that's not mine to carry is I will say, what would a middle-aged cis white man do? <laughs> would he take? Would he take this all on? Would he be so concerned about how he responds to that email, or would he just say, "I'm not available"? Would he right. have to put all these exclamation part mo- points and emojis, and "I'm so sorry," and all these disclaimers? No, he would just say, "I oh, I'm not available. Thank you for asking." Right? Yeah. So. Sometimes that helps me undo some of that social conditioning. I'm going to take up as much space as these other individuals who've been deemed more appropriate in our culture.
1: May we all have the confidence
0: of mediocre looking white men. <laughs> uh, it's not even mediocre looking. Sometimes it's just mediocre behaving who they are, yes. just, but also haven't had to. They haven't had to excel and claw their way to the top and prove themselves over and over again and go to all the therapists to work through all their shit. But there's a reckoning that's happening. I really, really believe that that collectively, women and those who are who, who identify as women, or really anyone who just doesn't identify as male, I think are have up leveled in so many ways. And they're it's basically like get on board or you're gonna get left behind kind of thing.
1: You're gonna be Ken. <laughs>
0: We're bringing the Kenner
1: <laughs> the Kennergy, yes. Yeah, the Barbie movie, I remember I'm not to spoil it for anybody, but it's a definitely must see for feminists because mm-hmm. there's there's some role reversals there. Yeah. Ken being second in command to Barbie. And yeah. I'm like, yeah. yeah, I feel this.
0: Imagine. Imagine it's that. Just- Yeah. Well,
1: tell us, you've got some amazing, amazing advice and just some very powerful words in this one hour that we've been speaking. What do you have in the works for everyone?
0: Oh, well, so I do, I run, yeah. So I run a a signature program. It's called Worthy and it's actually going to be starting up here in October. And so I'm opening up Applications will start in September, and I'm only taking a very, very small group of women. I work with tiny, tiny little pods of women, basically. And this program spans over nine months. It includes two all-inclusive in-person retreats. One is at this gorgeous lake mansion I'm so excited about, and another, the second one is going to be at a gorgeous resort in Puerto Vallarta, Mexico. And especially oh I love p v r It's so great. oh, so great. Beautiful. I I've been dying to get back there ever since I went yeah. um so and so basically, what we do is we spend nine months digging into all the things that we're talking about here. So we do deep dives into inner child work, forgiveness, um massive untangling of our belief structures. I'm also a hypnotherapist. So we talk a lot about the subconscious mind and we infuse a lot of subconscious work into the program. So that's coming up. So, and it's not for the faint of heart, like it's a big commitment, uh, time-wise financially. So, but if you're like, I'm fucking done and I am ready to go deep, and I'm ready to completely change my life, then I would really encourage you to check that out. You can always find all the info over at amygreensmith.com slash worthy. And uh, I would be incredibly honored to have you check it out. And let's see what else. Oh, probably by the time this airs, my podcast will be back up and running. Basically, all everything you can find about me is over at amygreensmith.com. And I Always joke that those three names are all spelled the very basic bitch way. <laughs> nothing's nothing's fancy or exciting. It's just Amy Green Smith. Um, but I've got tons of freebies over there. Some free hypnosis. You can check out uh, a workbook that I've created for y'all called "Speak Up for Yourself Without Being a Dick." So I hope you you come over and and grab some goodies. And then, like any self-respecting Gen Xer, I hang out the most on Instagram. You can find me under the handle Hey Amy Green Smith.
1: Hey, Amy Greensmith, no periods or underscores in between them? Nope.
0: Nope. Nothing.
1: Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Are there any lasting words you'd like to leave for the mm-hmm. for better self and net worth community?
0: Yeah. So I have a quote that I kind of really operate from, and it is that you are responsible for your intention, not your reception. And I would encourage you to think about how you might be so invested in the reception you're getting from people that you're selling false goods, that you're operating from behind a veneer. And my guess would be that if I asked you what are the type of people that you want to attract into your life, you would say authentic, beautiful, honest people of integrity. You wouldn't say a bunch of liars that blow smoke up my ass. So you need to be the person you want to attract, whether that's workplace or friendships you want or intimate partnerships. So start placing the emphasis on who you are being, your intention, how you are showing up, the version of yourself that you're putting into the world. You are responsible for your intention, not your reception.
1: Beautiful. Beautiful. Well, thank you for all of your powerful words, all of your advice, and everything you're putting out into the world. I mean, it's so important for women to know their own power. And I'm just excited for what's to come, just, you know, from women like you and just what's to come in
0: our generation. Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much for allowing me to rant and rave for a while.
1: Oh, thank you. My pleasure is all mine. Thank you for being on the show.
0: Oh, thank you, Ella
1: you are
2: listening to For Better Self and Net Worth. In this community, we think you'll find your self-worth comes before your net worth and everything else. We also think you were designed to go after the life you want by ditching societal norms, knowing exactly who you are as an individual, and going after your unique purpose here on this earth. Every week, Ella interviews an entrepreneur that designed the life they wanted among the challenges, naysayers and leaving outside their comfort zone. Or you're going to hear straight from Ella where she talks about the important lessons she's learned in life and how she's achieved the overall happiness she has. This is Ella, the host for Better Self and Net Worth. Based out of Nashville, Tennessee, she makes every single day an adventure. You'll always find her right here behind the microphone, sharing all her thoughts with all of you. And we appreciate you listening and hope you enjoy this episode.